You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. Welcome to the November episode of the CEO Podcast with Washington Hospitality Association President and CEO, Anthony Antone. This month, Anthony sits down with Sean Kennedy, Executive Vice President of Public Affairs at the National Restaurant Association. Check the story notes for links to the web pages we mentioned in this show. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at wahospitality.org. Thank you to our sponsor, My Hospitality Insurance. Visit myhospitalityinsurance.com for your free quote today. And now, here's Anthony. Welcome to November. Hope everybody had a great Halloween. And then if you're listening later in the month, I hope you end up having a wonderful Thanksgiving. This is kind of a really interesting time for us. It's the week before elections. A lot of people are wondering, hey, where are we going from here? And I feel like every election cycle we say this, but it's like this is such a, a break in the road, a fork in the road for where our country is going to go and where issues and policies are going to go. And we are really trying to get out there and listen to what you think. So the government affairs team has been out for the past few weeks around the state in listening sessions, trying to hear from the membership post COVID. What are your main priorities? What do you need us to work on next? If you haven't had a chance to, to go to one of these, there will be a virtual one, so you can just do it for the comfort of your office on November 10th. So go ahead and go to the podcast notes if you look down below and check out how you can attend a virtual session. Lex, I jumped right into stuff. Welcome to November and this podcast. You know, on our best days, we do four things for the industry. I just talked about government affairs. You deliver on the primary source of information. For the past month, what's been going on with communication? What should members know or be aware about? Well, we had, um, a, as you know, our toolkits have been very popular with our members because it really curates and organizes information in an easy to consume bites. Uh, one of these has been our quick bites for the food code, which basically our food code toolkit, certified food protection manager requirement that goes into effect in March of 2023. These are some major changes that we uh, compiled and worked with the agencies on and uh, put it together for our members. So uh, that's live on the website and the link will be provided here as well. Uh, we have minimum wage resources uh, now updated with uh, CTAC information that has labor is the largest cost for our industry. Over and, 19 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe we're talking about a minimum wage over $19 an hour? It's uh, hard to believe that it's gone oh. up that fast, but it is what it is. And but our members need to know about it and, and, and all the details surrounding it. So we put that together and you can find more information on that at wahospitality.org. And then finally, the team just completed a, a new lodging uh, checklist for our members only site. Uh, we've, we've been asked by a lot of our lodging members in terms of uh, various compliance issues and requirements. And we uh, assembled this in the real convenient checklist that our lodging members can access. And that can be found at access.wahospitality.org. So Lex, tell me about the lodging checklist. What, what, what is that for an operator who might be wondering if they should go check it out? 
Well, it's basically a, a number of resources that we've assembled. Uh, the lodging toolkit is for hotel operators. Basically, uh, it covers uh, specific things related just that, that affect just the lodging industry, uh, such as transit accommodation licenses, the Washington State business licenses, uh, accident uh, prevention topics, uh, bloodborne pathogens, isolated workers, and this includes things like adopting sexual harassment policies and specific mandatory anti-harassment training. Uh, and we also have a, a sexual harassment section here that leads to best practices and other model policies that your uh, organization can help apply to your own business. Uh, and discrimination. So the different aspects of discrimination really specific to the lodging industry. Uh, we've assembled that here. And we've added some other resources such as hotel employee protection section that links out to a few resources, uh, Seattle business licenses, as well as independent contractor protection orders. So very specific stuff to our lodging members, but we've been getting asked about this for quite some time and we finally have it up in our members only area, access.wahospitality.org. Well, it sounds like a great resource and please check it out. And if it's missing anything, let Lex know. So uh, I know Lisa will put the link to that in the the, uh, podcast notes. So anything we talk about today and you're like, where can I find out more? Go to your podcast notes. Speaking of things to be excited about, November 17th, only a few weeks away, we have the first ever combined hospitality convention and WSU Westside alumni event for hospitality. And so I'm hoping everyone has that on their calendar. We are getting close to being sold out. We're about 80% of the way to being sold out. And so hopefully if you haven't got your uh, registration in, go get it. Really cool format this year. The WSU professors are uh, going to be leading panels. I think there's going to be six different panels on everything from tourism and tech to how to get an internship and staffing and others. And then they're going to be bringing in industry experts and talking about these different key issues. So it's a great way that number three hospitality program in the country, you know, maybe we're one of the best hospitality associations in the country, combine our efforts to try to make the industry stronger. So hope to see everyone there for a a day of great information and then a fun uh, dinner and the Lifetime Achievement Awards and other things that evening. So November 17th, check it out. And again, you can find that in the notes. It's going to be at that beautiful newer Silver Cloud in, in Ruston down in Tacoma. If you haven't been to that property, man, the Pacific Northwest is really building some jewels on the lodging property side. Um, and this is one worth checking out. Lex, what about our fourth pillar, which is trying to give our members a strong ROI? Some very exciting things uh, specific to the My Hospitality Insurance Program. We have uh, have an update on the expansion of carriers and providing new coverages. Uh, specifically, we uh, brought in two new standard line carriers. This ensures that uh, we have a, wide, a wider array of carrier options for our members and and are able to find them the best pricing and coverage. In addition to the standard line carriers, we also have a surplus line carrier that continues to benefit our bar and tavern members. What's unique about this bar and tavern carrier is they rate on square foot and occupancy of the space rather than rating on liquor. This benefits our members from the pricing standpoint uh, and ensures that they receive liquor liability insurance, which is becoming harder to obtain these days due to appetite changes in the carrier market. Also, uh, by broadening our carrier relationship and, and make sure that we have, we can cover our uh, unique hospitality industry that might 
have exposures that many carriers might not cover. So now on top of that, uh, we have averaged in the last 90 days, 35% premium savings for our members. Overall program savings is 24%. So this equates uh, into covering membership investment by eight times. So we're very excited about this. It's a great cost saving program. A few years ago, a couple of our board members said, hey, we need to pull together an insurance program because a bunch of our smaller operators are going to start getting drops. This is where insurance is headed, and we need to have something very specific to our industry and how we cover it. Now that I'm getting out more and more post-COVID, I'm hearing more and more people get the notice that they're being dropped by their coverage and they need someone else. So thanks to our board to have the foresight to see this coming, and thanks to our biz dev program for putting something together for the industry. So if you've seen your right your rates skyrocket or you've been notified that you're one of the hundreds that are getting dropped, hopefully this becomes a good alternative for you so you can still get that insurance. So that is our four pillars for the last month. And hopefully you found something in there that can help make your business stronger. Well, when we come back from break, we're going to be getting to Sean Kennedy from the National Restaurant Association the amazing lead on all our government affairs issues back in D.C. on behalf of the restaurant side of our industry. For your hoteliers who may be saying, hey, what about hotel issues? Just a couple months ago, we had the head of the American Hotel Lodging Association on, Chip Rogers, and we'll put a link to that podcast in the podcast notes so you can learn about what the top issues will likely be for lodging back in D.C. in the future. This episode is brought to you by My Hospitality Insurance. Our focus is to ensure Washington Hospitality Association members utilize the strength and collective premiums to maximize their coverage. Visit myhospitalityinsurance.com for your free quote today. Thanks for sponsoring this podcast. We are so lucky and excited to be able to have Sean Kennedy with us. He's in charge of all of our government affairs at the National Restaurant Association has been a phenomenal leader. Sean, I, I, I can honestly say your team has done such an incredible job in the last few years. And it's been, we're very, very proud to be part of your system in a small way out here in Washington State and all the work you've done. For those who don't live in your world, I, I just want to remind people that your team were able, was able to put together the initial Triple P and then learn the lessons from it and make the second Triple P even stronger and introduce the Restaurant Revitalization Fund and so many other efforts from the way things got taxed to, to other things and keeping us in the forefront. It was such an incredible two, three years that I don't think any of us want to go relive, but do you have anything in particular that you're, you're really proud of that your average operator may not know that your team worked on back in D.C.? Well, Anthony, first, it's great to be here, and thank you. It, none of this happens in a vacuum, Anthony, as you well know, and it was the input, it was the passion, it was the perspective, and the really dogged determination from not only you and the WHA team, but the Washington membership as well. None of this happened because solely out of lobbying heft in Washington. We needed, this was a 50-state problem that needed a 50-state solution. Washington was absolutely the tip of that spear. So thank you and, and your members for everything they did working with us to, to achieve what we could on the pandemic recovery front. Do you, do you have a personal highlight or, or memory you'll carry with you forever from all your work to, uh, to help the industry during the pandemic? I'll be honest. It's the same conversations that you had, Anthony. It is talking to operators 
who are asking, am I going to get an RF grant? Am I going to get it replenished? And I would say, and they basically said, is it going to happen in the next two weeks? Because it's not going to happen in the next two weeks. I have to close up shop. And it was having really difficult conversations with operators where they come off the phone and they say, look, I can't afford to continue mortgaging my house for my restaurant. I appreciate everything you've done, Sean, but I'm going to have to close up shop. And that just every conversation breaks your heart. And we had a lot of those, as you well know. And we lost so many fantastic restaurants, and each one had such an amazing story. So I don't want to call that a highlight, Anthony, because it was really one of the most crushing parts of it. The highlights are probably the, the, the same folks that, that did get an RF grant, or they got ERC, or they got PPP or IDLE, and they said, this is why I'm still open. And it's because of the work the Washington Hospitality Association and the National Restaurant Association did. That's really what keeps you going. But talking to those folks that lost everything, it, it certainly really helps you keep things in perspective on what we're fighting for. It's interesting you raised that because just the other night, someone was thinking of Sorala our work. And on my drive home, I was thinking about, we helped a lot of people and I feel good about it. Yet there's all those people that we weren't able to help. And how do you balance that in your head? I think it's always a challenge. You know, we were able to talk about the industry in ways we've always wanted to, but the times or Congress's focus or other things never really allowed us to talk about the importance of small businesses and what we provide and how we're the fabric of the community. We were able to talk about that during COVID in ways maybe we didn't know how or didn't before. Is there any lessons learned from the pandemic about either messaging or working together or otherwise that you hope operators and associations and we as an industry carry forward into the next decade because we learned through fire how to do something better than maybe we did before? Listen, I before joining the National Restaurant Association, I spent eight years at Airlines for America, which is the trade association that represents the U.S. cargo and passenger airlines. And if you look at that, there's only two industries that got government-specific relief, airlines and restaurants, completely different business models, and people have a very different view on what they mean to them. If one airline fails, that has an immediate impact on, on Seattle, uh, on other communities in Washington, in Florida, New York, et cetera. If one restaurant fails, however, it doesn't have an immediate economic impact. There are only, you know, there were, no, I represented nine major airlines. We have almost one million restaurants and food service locations here. The reason why airlines and restaurants made it through was for very different reasons. I mean, for restaurants, it is not only the economic impact if we as an industry suffer as the nation's second largest private sector employer, but people care about us. And when they see that brown packing paper go up behind the glass construction paper, they want to know what's behind it. What's the cuisine going to be? It's going to be Thai or Mexican or Italian. And they love our industry in a way that they don't love the airline industry, to be honest, because it is very personal. And I remember when I've been with you and you've said, here's where we got to go eat tonight. And you always show me a great meal. People don't say that about airlines. But Congress recognized that the airline industry could not fail because they are the physical internet of this country, moving people and goods. But we are the social fabric that brings people together. And Congress recognized that as well. But again, going back to the work that you did, it was we are such a hyperlocal industry. And every member of Congress has got their favorite place that they eat at. And they've got their favorite place that they'll host a reception at. Or if they want to disappear, they know what place to go to to be completely anonymous. And those operators became 
advocates overnight and our grassroots database it just so exploded with how many engagements that they got from uh from that went to capitol hill so to me the biggest part is just tip o'neill used to say all politics is local there is no industry that is more hyper local than restaurants every community's got one every street corner hopefully has got one and when we go down as an industry that matters which which leaves us with sort of a where do we go from here we were such in the headlines during the pandemic as the industry that was uniquely suffering the pandemic by and large is behind us obviously there are things we still need to navigate but how do we still stay relevant how do we make sure that we can continue to harness and channel that passion and that voice of this industry now that your members and our dual members are back in the kitchens and they're back in their offices and they're trying to run their daily businesses and it's a challenge that we're up for working with folks like you anthony but it's uh you know the fight we cannot let anything we can't let our foot off the gas at this point the challenges and the stakes are still way too high for this industry i i i completely agree with that and to the degree that we were able to engage and build relationships with with our elected officials and other community leaders we got to continue that you know, the crisis allowed us to establish those. Now we need to continue that conversation where we need to move Absolutely. forward from there. So I very, very much appreciate your message. You know, a couple of things. You mentioned a couple of the relief efforts that you were just amazing in securing. There's still a couple things out there. Can you give us the updates on where the IRS and the ERC stands today? And then I and I hear about this last $180 million on RRF. I know – Ultimately, you divide that by 50 and proportionately, and it's not going to be a whole lot out here. But can you give us a, kind of the last update of the last remaining pieces of, of major relief? Yeah. Let's start off with the employee retention tax credit, which was something that we secured. We and Washington Hospitality Association, the National Restaurant Association secured sort of preferential treatment or expanded treatment for groups that included restaurants. And we made sure that we kept the threshold of damage low enough that as many restaurants would qualify for it as possible. I've talked to operators who say that was actually more important to them than RRF or PPP. But the challenges you've noted, there are two challenges. One, Congress ended the program one quarter early and used that money to pay for the infrastructure bill. We supported the infrastructure bill, but said this is short-sighted. You should not be ending the employee retention credit this soon. We are pushing to get that restored retroactively. It's a tough, it's an uphill lift. I'll get to that in a second. But then as you've noted, I was, uh, I was in Florida last week talking to operators that still hadn't received their, their 2021. I mean, I had one guy who still received 2020, which is just remarkable. Right. We're still hearing from folks from 2020, 2021, and obviously 2022. That said, it really just underscores, you know, congressional inaction on IRS operations is where we're suffering. You know, so much of this is literally paper-based or they're using Fortran programming technologies. Uh, the programs that you and I were using in high school, Anthony, is still what's going on there. And those lack of investments are biting us in the butt right now. I did actually talk to two operators uh, in Oregon last week that did get their ERC checked. We've had letters to the Hill, uh, to excuse me, to the IRS from Capitol Hill. You know, we can only make so much noise uh, with the IRS, but we are working, making sure that members of Congress are hearing from us loudly and clearly. And you've been great on this as well, Anthony. This is just being that rock in the shoes 
of your senators and your elected saying, look, we have three operators that are due this. They've already paid the money. They've given the money to the IRS. They have been told they're going to get it back. The IRS needs to hold up their end of the bargain. So we're pushing on this, but it is it's it's I, I think the IRS is doing the best they can with the resources they have, but we're being really vocal. You talked about RRF and you know this one well. I forget the number of of uh, restaurants in Washington state that didn't get it. It's 177,000 nationwide. We led the effort to replenish the RRF. We secured a vote in the Senate. We had a vote in the House. Passed in the House, it just what we couldn't get there in the Senate. Ultimately, it was filibustered. We were incredibly frustrated by this. And what it came down to was uh, Republican concern that deficit spending needs to end and that enough money out of the $3 trillion that had been spent on COVID relief, they didn't want to add to that amount. And they said, we will only replenish RRF if we cut from other programs. And we have some specifically that we want to talk about. The procedural vote was whether to even begin debate and try amending it. We weren't able to get to 60 votes. That ended that. The big challenge in Washington right now is fiscal discipline and responsibility sort of moves in and out of being in vogue. It's back in vogue now. And things that uh, things like replenishing RRF without cutting spending in other programs is a non-starter for this Congress. I do not see RRF being replenished. But last you're aware of this, Anthony. There's $180 million that still hasn't been spent from that original $28.6 billion that we secured for RF. $180 million is not a lot of money, but if you're, if you're one of those operators that's still uh, hanging out hope and living month to month, it matters. And we were the first to identify that this money was still out there and the first to really raise a stink. We just talked to SBA this week about this. They think that the money act, it's, it's, the, the how much it's going to be has been ebbing and flowing. They are getting some money back from restaurants either because of fraud or because the restaurants have shut down. So that number may be higher. At the same time, it may be lower for other unexciting reasons. They are still on a path to release those funds. We still don't have a timeline. The only thing I can tell you is it won't be a new application process. It will be based on your old application and what num- you know what your timestamp is, so to speak. And they'll move in order of when it was received. But we don't have a lot more guidance for you at this point. But we are really politely but firmly staying on the uh, SBA for more guidance to make sure that every single dollar that the tax that Congress set aside makes its way into the hands of struggling restaurant owners. Well, and, and we uh, we appreciate that. And, and, and for operators listening, I mean, if you if you do simple math, right, you divide you divide that 180 by 50 that's like 5.1 million here in Washington so it's not that will be help operators but i think for those who are getting their hopes up it's really getting that erc check back for operators who who are now running 6 8 months or more on that refund should they be contacting their member of congress and saying i still don't have the relief and i've already paid taxes on it or Oh, I, 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 there is never any there. There is never any harm of working with groups like WHA or just they or them reaching out directly to the member of Congress and treating this as casework. The IRS has owed me this money for one year, two years now. Where are we in the queue? And I, there is never. What's great about this industry is restaurant operators are outgoing people, and uh, we don't yeah. like to say no to anybody. But if if Washington is saying no to us, if the IRS is saying not yet to us, 
we need to be that vaguely uh, unruly customer that we that we try to avoid. We need to be that person, and we need to make sure that management knows about it. In this case, you're a member of Congress. Well, let me ask one more question looking backward, and then we'll switch to moving forward. As always, human mm-hmm. nature starts kicking in on these kind of things. In the last three weeks, I feel like I've been beating back rumor after rumor. And, and the rumors all circle around ERC funds may not actually get here, that the IRS is looking to repurpose or, or not do the refunds or, or uh, reconsider. That's all pretty much just not- human nature and baseless concerns, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they are legally obligated to pay these funds. I don't think this is not a question, you know, we don't need to talk about litigation at this point, but there is nothing, uh, they can't They can't repurpose that. Congress could retroactively do that, and you know, good luck if they wanted to try to pass that, but they wouldn't. Congress is not going to retroactively say, we're going to take this away from you, a benefit, you know, a tax credit that you deserved as of two years ago. Uh, so I'm never going to say, you know, this, these are crazy times that we live in, Anthony. So I'm never going to say it couldn't happen. I'm going I'm to say it's highly, highly unlikely. And there's been zero discussion on that moving in Washington, gotcha. D.C. Well, I think that'll just help to calm the waters. I think a lot of people start getting concerned and they start thinking what ifs and then what ifs become rumors. So there is nobody that would be – the I mean the, the NRA and the WHA would absolutely lose their freaking minds and you would see us both. Uh, standing at the base of the Capitol, holding the loudest press conference we've ever had, if that was ever to pass. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and that's, I think it's just good for people to hear that because I think, again, some people are getting really concerned the longer this drags out. Well, let's, let's move to, to some future issues. I can't believe it's, it's November and election day, elections only, you know, depending on when you listen to this podcast, a week away. What should operators be prepared as they see their congresspeople over the holidays? And uh, and many of them do. They have Christmas parties or they're just in their neighborhoods. About what next year's issues are going to be? What's the uh, National Restaurant Association's agenda look like for next year? And or what are the things that operators ought to be aware of that they're at risk for in next next year's congressional session? It's a great question. Let's start off with the basics, Anthony. During the pandemic, Washington knew that we were suffering. Our doors were closed. Our lights were out. The, the, the biggest misconception that I get now here in Washington is people, uh, a member, members of Congress will say to me, hey, I tried, you know, I walked by, and they'll name a, a, a popular D.C. place, and they'll say, and the place was packed. I couldn't get a table. You guys are crushing it. The old days, you know, the pre-pandemic days are back. And I have to quietly shake my head and say, that restaurant is drowning in debt. They don't have enough staff, so they've got fewer tables in play. Their, their, their poultry and their potatoes and most of their proteins, they're paying 20 to 25% higher. And they were barely making money before the pandemic. I promise you, Congressman, I promise you, Senator, that restaurant is not crushing it right now. And I got to suspect, Anthony, that you get that as well. So I think number one is just for operators to remind people politely, but make the point of just because it looks busy doesn't mean we're making money. And it is so easy for a popular restaurant to, to they can't raise, you know, we're, menu price inflation is not that high. So we're not passing on the cost of inflation. We are taking it out of our own profit. So number one is just to educate, let them know how narrow a profit margin you're operating under. 
you don't have the staffing, inflation costs are too high, you still have pandemic debt, if those talking points uh, are applicable to you. And then the second thing I think is really to make sure that they understand the business of the industry, that they appreciate how much your servers make, you know, with tips and with your wages and why this is such a great profession for so many people. There are so few industries that can take anybody who is out of school, out of a job, out of jail. And this can be their first job or one of their last jobs, their forever job. And they have flexibility and they can work hard and they can make a lot of money. Doesn't matter if they're a college student or a single parent or leading a, uh, heading a family of four. It's, it's really to establish those basics. After that, you know, I think it's we start moving into what are the issues that we want Congress to think about next year. We want them to be thinking about credit card swipe fees and how do we inject more competition in that. So maybe tell them how much you're paying in transaction fees. Is that your number two, number three cost? For a lot of restaurants after labor and supplies, it's right after that. Do we talk about the need for either comprehensive immigration reform or greater guest worker programs? That's something that you and I have been talking a lot about, Anthony, of we are not going to, you know, we are almost half a million jobs below where we were before the pandemic. A lot of them aren't going to come back. And we need a solution from Congress. And it could be immigration reform or even smaller steps like more guest worker visas for industries like the restaurant industry. We have legislation that we saw introduced in the House. We're trying to get similar legislation in the Senate. These issues are the new economic necessity because just the workers aren't there. And if a member of Congress comes away with that kind of understanding that we are still an industry that is on the razor's edge of, of, of failing or succeeding, that there are a lot of bills that Congress could pass that could immediately help us to lower our costs, and last, not to put in expensive mandates or costs from Washington that restaurants are ill-equipped to absorb. You know, we have such a low profit margin, period, and we can only raise our prices so much. And usually it comes out of those profits. And that is going to be what keeps, makes, uh, pushes a lot of restaurants that much closer to saying, I got to get my keys back to the bank. I can't get through this. So what I heard you say in that, Sean, and thank you very much. But if I'm, I'm going to do the 10-second recap, proactively, we're going to be working on swipe fees, credit card fees, and then also some kind of workforce support in immigration slash guest visas and those kind of things. And then on the defense side, reminding Congress, just because you went to a restaurant on a Friday night and they were jammed, does not mean we're healthy. And to your point from earlier, there's 3,900 restaurants in Washington that did not get RRF that qualified. There's only 3,200 who got it. And, and those are very appreciative, but 60, almost 55 to 60% did not receive it. And they're drowning in debt. I was just talking to a pizza operator in Snohomish County who said, my Friday nights are great, but I'm, I'm now closed on Mondays because I don't have the workforce. And I'm closed yeah. at 8 o'clock, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I used to be open till 10 because I can't have the workforce. And I'm not catching up to my debt. I don't know how I'm going to get there from here. You know, and all I can do is kind of share in that, in that drowning and in that information. But letting people know that we're when your congressperson goes or your your elected official goes to your restaurant it's probably the same busy time that most of your other customers do it's those margins and those shoulders that are so far down and we can't find staff for that are killing us sean i want to respect your time i i know you're an incredibly busy person so why don't we wrap this up with 
Are there, is there any last thought that you have from things going on in your world or things you see in your crystal ball that you want to make sure that Washington State operators are aware of? Let's end on a positive note because we spent so much time talking about the complaints that operators can give to their elected officials. And I, I just want to remind folks that people, policymakers do get it at the end of the day. I know that they've pushed us to our limits and they've disappointed us. And sometimes they pulled the ball like, you know, Lucy and Charlie Brown. But we represent an industry that people still truly care about. And they people truly understand what we represent, not only what we enable for the customer, but what we enable for our employees and what we enable for the suppliers and what we enable for the community as a whole. And it's very easy for us to lose sight of that. It is, your, your operators are living proof of this every day. We spend a lot of time just reminding folks of why we inspire and why people are so excited about our industry and want to see more restaurants in Washington State and around the community. They want us to win. They don't always understand how our business model works. You know, they, they might think that they understand how businesses, a restaurant works because they eat, at, they eat out so often. So there's some education that needs to go there. But we begin every meeting with them nodding and leaning in and saying, we get you, I understand your business, I know right where your restaurant is, and I hope you can hire more people. And I wanna make sure just that, that WHA members represent, understand that it's the work that you do, Anthony, and your membership and your engagement that al allows that message to be transferred into Washington. And, and as much as we've all gotten so many surveys and polls, and I'll just say, whenever you get an email from Anthony, please try to open it. Please try to read it because it's, it's you've got a day job, and I appreciate that. But the information that you give to folks like the Washington Hospitality Association is critical, not only for what Anthony is doing in, in, in Washington State, what we're trying to do in Washington, D.C. as well. We're so appreciative of our relationship and our partnership with WHA, and we're so excited for continuing the road ahead and bringing this industry to an even better place. Well, Sean, again, I want to say thank you. You know, there's a lot of years that out here on the West Coast, we don't pay attention to what's going on on the federal level because we already have a higher minimum wage or we've already done all the things that you're now considering in Congress have happened here years ago. But during the pandemic, we got such a strong reminder of, of why we need great people like you back there fighting for us and securing the wins that you did. And there are people whose businesses are around today because of your team's hard work, and and I want to say thank you. So, so we'll continue to be strong partners, and until next time, Sean, thank you so much. Oh, that was great. It was so good to have Sean on. He's such an outstanding and dynamic advocate on our behalf. For those lodging operators who are listening, and it's like, gosh, I didn't really get much out of that. Reminder, we had Chip Rogers on from the American Hotel Lodging Association just a few months ago and we'll put the link in that podcast notes so you can get the latest on lodging issues as well with that everybody have an outstanding november we'll be back talking to you here at the beginning of the month join us next month when anthony will present a recap of the 2022 midterm elections thank you for listening listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association. 
be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.